Hi there, welcome to Forward After 50. I'm Rebecca Ronane and I'm on a mission to empower women to age positively. Women over 50 are often overlooked, even invisible. Yet we are an untapped market of skills and disposable income. We live in an age of inclusivity, but what about aging? In this podcast, I'll share ideas and interviews with people on topics including fighting ageism, positive aging, confidence, reinvention, freedom of choice, and so much more. Let's move away from the negative aging bias to recognize that women over 50 are a force to be reckoned with. In this episode, I'm talking to author Susan Salinger about her book, Sidelined, How Women Can Navigate a Broken Healthcare System. So, Let's, without further ado, deep dive into health choices, self-care or sidelined. I, first of all, would love to know a little bit about you and also why you decided to write this book. Let's see, what can I tell you? I'm a grandmother. I have four wonderful grandchildren, perfect grandchildren, of course. Um, I was in business with my husband for many years. We made training films for, <coughs> excuse me, for business and industry. And then after we retired, I went back to school and took some anthropology classes. And I took some medical anthropology classes. And I learned a tremendous amount of information about women and the healthcare system. And I did not realize that some of some of the things I learned just really surprised me. And what what surprised me the most was that I didn't know any of it because I've always read a lot about health. But really, academics write for each other. And so I thought to myself, this information has to get out to the public. I mean, women need to know some of this stuff. So that was one of the main reasons I wrote the book to educate women about the fact that we're omitted from clinical trials, although it's much better today, um, that there's all kinds of information about women's bodies that the medical system really is not less familiar with. I will, I'll even say unfamiliar. Mm, can, so I ask was, you, can I just ask you, sorry to interrupt, whether this is the first book that you wrote? Yes, it's the first book I wrote. I've actually started on my second, but I've been writing all my life because when I was in the training film business, I wrote the scripts. Okay. So I've, I've always been a writer, but just not of books. Right, um, okay. And was there, was reading uh, about it inspire you or were you aware of a specific situation or had you had a situation yourself which you thought mm, that's um that that's something that is a bit uncomfortable and maybe someone else is having those situations and perhaps this needs to be known well both things really uh, the, the, uh years ago i had an unfortunate experience myself where i agreed to some exploratory surgery that i knew i didn't need 
And nevertheless, I insisted it be done sooner rather than later. I had switched hormones and I started some vaginal bleeding and the doctor got frightened and thought I was maybe ovarian cancer. I mean, and he wasn't wrong. It's certainly a symptom of ovarian cancer, but he got scared and insisted I have exploratory surgery. And I knew it had to be the new hormones. I mean, it was obvious. I started the hormones, I started bleeding. I mean, it's not that tricky, but nevertheless, I agreed to it and I wondered, you know, I went through the surgery, everything was fine. I went back on the old, old hormone and that was that. But then when I took some of these anthropology classes and I learned some of the things that women agree to, I really began to wonder how women make medical decisions. So some of the things that, that really surprised me, for example, is that we wait in emergency rooms, we wait longer than men to get treated. And that our, our our reports of pain, at least in the, in the United States, I, I don't know about Europe, but I suspect it's similar, that our, our reports of pain are dismissed or ignored. And we're often prescribed antidepressants instead of pain medication, whereas men will get pain medication. I mean, things like that really deeply disturb. In fact, I found myself actually, not only did they disturb me, I got angry. Um, right. And that, that inspired you to... To start, right. uh, yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Getting some attention about it, and well, you know, uh, when I started the book, one of the 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 other there were several things that came sort of coalesced and you know came together. But I did a project in for school on women who had hysterectomies, and I interviewed several, and several of them had agreed to the surgery, even though they didn't thought they didn't need it. Many of them thought that their symptoms were just premenopausal or menopausal, postmenopausal, whatever. Uh, whether they were right or not, I don't know. Because, I mean, they don't know because they did have the hysterectomy and that that did take care of their issues. But it pointed out to me how little we really know about at that time in particular, how little we really know about women's bodies. And as a result, women get medical care, maybe more medical care than they need. I'm not sure. Right. I mean, that's so interesting what you say, because I'm actually one of those people that um, had a premenopausal um, symptom, you know, too much bleeding. And I was told, oh, yes, you need a hysterectomy. Um, you know, why, why wouldn't you have one, actually, the age right. that you are? Um, <laughs> and I was, and as I was in the hospital having a consultation with a surgeon, I thought, you know what? I, I don't think this is right. And I didn't go through with it. And I went to another gynecologist who actually said, oh, no, that's rubbish. Um, yeah. Of course, you know, that's a normal symptom. It'll go away. And so, right. you know, that so rings true with what you just said. And how frightening is that? Well, and I think what you said is really in a nutshell, my message in my book listen to your guts. I mean, if I had listened, even when I when I had that exploratory surgery, I could have gone for a second opinion, I could have gone back on the old hormones and see if they if the bleeding stopped. But I mean, I rushed into surgery. And it was silly. I mean, I wasn't going to die in, in, in a week, I could have I had other options that I didn't explore. Um, and I, I think that that's really important to listen to your gut. You know your body better than anybody else. I mean, that's really the main message of the book. And do you, I mean, this is part of the message of uh, the book, that we are talked into unnecessary um, medication. 
And we're yes. also talked to in a language that is a bit, sounds, dare I say, patronizing as well. I think sometimes that's true. I mean, of course, it depends on the individual doctor. So that's hard. I mean, it's hard to make a generalization. But I do think that we are talked into things that may or may not be necessary. It's hard to know. And it's hard to, for the doctor, too. You know, there are so many diseases out there, so many possibilities of why things aren't or go, may be going wrong. So for the doctor, a, a, a diagnosis can be like looking for a needle in a haystack. You know, if you go to the doctor and you say, oh, my gosh, I'm tired and I have no appetite and my energy is just not what it used to be. And, 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 and those symptoms can fit thousands of not hundreds, but thousands of diseases. So truly, it. Uh, I, I, one of the things that really interested me is that we all see what we expect to see. And there's been studies. I mean, uh, the same symptoms can be stomach pains to a gastroenterologist, stress to a psychologist. I mean, we all see what we're accustomed or what we've been trained to see. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I think it's really important not only to listen to yourself, but back up your gut with second opinions. If you, I don't know how that works. Uh, you know, in Europe, and I don't, it, it, here it depends on your insurance. But uh, second opinions are critical. We see what we expect to see. And that's, so you want to go to somebody that, whose training is different. So you get a different perspective. Um, in, in your book, you are uh, bringing up the subject that women, you know, put others first and are <laughs> not caring for themselves enough. <laughs> I, I can Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. What? How can we address that in a in a way that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I always think in my in my particular book, Forward After Fifty, I would say you have to look after yourself first to look after others. It's true. It's and that's so true. I mean, think about it. Even the airlines tell you to put your own mask on before you put on your children's. You can't take care of. I mean, first of all, we do take care of others. You asked how to address that. And I think that one of the best ways to address it is to be aware of it. There was a study done where women were uh, some women were given five things, five, a list of five things to prioritize. You know, what would they take care of first? And first, they take care of their of the of their children. Second, their pets, which I loved. I didn't know that. Third, <laughs> third was their elderly parents. Fourth was significant others, and fifth and last was themselves. And I maintain, as apparently you did in your book, that you can't take care of others nearly as well if you're not feeling good yourself. You know, you're irritable. You feel crappy. You, it's hard to take care of other people when it's under the best of circumstances. So when your energy is low and all you want to do is lie down and take a nap, you can't do as good a job. So it's very important to take care of yourself first so that you can take care of others in the best possible way. Absolutely. I agree. And uh, that's very interesting about where pets stand. I know, isn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine like saying to your, your what did you tell me, your 93-year-old mother, gee, mom, I know you're not feeling well, but fluffy here, I need to take her to the vet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, well, we won't go down that road because <laughs> I do have a very demanding dog, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> I do too, actually. <laughs> so, um, yes, you, you also talk about, and this is quite alarming, that they are more, that, that women are more concerned about offending uh, doctors than actually making demands for themselves. Yes, I found that particularly when I uh, did some of the research on why women don't get second or hesitate. We do get second opinions, but we hesitate. And, you know, culturally, we're brought up to take care of others, not to hurt anybody's feelings, to play nice. We don't want to be rude. And it, so many of the women I talked with felt that they were being confrontational with the doctor. They didn't see it as maybe a confirmation or getting more information. Rather, they saw it as a confrontation. In fact, one woman said to me, she would literally never, 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 and she was a friend of mine, I actually argued with her. She would never get a second opinion because she said she was so afraid of getting a black mark on her record that would follow her, you know, like a difficult patient in quote, what well, you can't see, but I'm, I'm making quote marks, difficult patient that would follow her all through her medical career, so to speak. And she didn't, she didn't want that in her record. So she just never asked for a second opinion. And to me, that is you, you, that's, that's really poor medical behavior. You, you've got, you don't want to have, take medication that's a, and I'm not talking about an aspirin, obviously, but if you take serious medication or are recommended a serious treatment of any kind like surgery, I really strongly recommend getting another opinion, unless of course it's an emergency and then you have no choice. Yes, I, you have uh, quite a few shocking statistics in your book. One that, that shone out at me, and I, I knew in the past, I think that statistically, Americans do take more medication generally than any other country. And second, actually comes France, where I am. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I believe, I don't know if that statistic is still, but it was always... Um, that way but you say in your book i believe it's over the age is it 60 or 65 that generally every american takes about four medications on prescription yeah yeah something like i'm, I'm trying to remember but i think that's right um and that's a lot or more some take as many as seven or eight and um Wow, is all I have to say. And then what happens is the the medications interfere with each other. So if medication A gives you diarrhea, then you take medication B to help the diarrhea. I mean, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's a real issue, and I'm. It's not something I. Fortunately, I don't have to do it. I, I'm fairly healthy, but and I would really hesitate. And I do hesitate before taking medication. I look it up. You know, that's the other thing I want to talk about for a minute. If you have access to a computer, please make sure that you look up your medications. Uh, see what the side effects are. See whether they interact with other medications you may be taking. There's just so much information out there. Let me just tell you a quick story that happened to me because I'm one of the lucky ones and I've never had pain. I, I don't know, just good genes. And so one morning, you know, I'm 81, stuff happens. So 
this was actually I was only 79 at the time, but I had my I had a really sore, I had a sore thumb. I mean, it really hurt me. And I thought to myself, this is nothing. But about three, four weeks later, it still was hurting. It was not going away. And you know, one of the I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac. So of course I decided I had cancer of the thumb or something. So I went to the doctor and she just said, you know, you're you're in your late 70s, it's probably just arthritis. Here's some medication. And I said, well, you know, I'm on Lexapro for depression. Does this medication interact with the Lexapro at all? And she said, absolutely not. You'll be just fine. Well, because I'm neurotic that way and because of who I am, excuse me, I went home and looked it up and she was 99% right. It, do, it basically did not interact with Lexapro, but there was a small amount of evidence that in 1% of patients, it could possibly cause a brain bleed. And I thought to myself, I've got one thumb, I've got nine other fingers, you know, it hurts. Is it really worth risking a brain bleed? Do I think that would happen to me? No. But if I'm in the 1%, I had to really assess the benefits and the risks. I ended up not taking it. My thumb is fine. You know, the body has a wonderful way of curing itself. But it isn't that she was wrong. It just, for me personally, the risks far outweighed the benefits. And, and I think that that's why it's so important to do your research. And um, do you think that doctors are happy that people use and have access to computers now for researching? I mean, sometimes I remember my mother's doctor being a little bit like, mm, oh, you know, you, you don't want to look at that too much. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's probably different today. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, that I, you know, compliance with medication is such a, a huge subject. In fact, I was planning to write about it. And the research is so massive that there was like, it's just a very difficult, women in particular have trouble complying with their, with their medication regime for a bunch of reasons. So I think if you can do your own research, and I think a doctor would probably support this. This is my opinion, educated opinion, but still just me. But I think if you do do your research and you're comfortable with the prescription you've been given, you're more likely to comply. Somebody said, I forgot who, that medications don't work and people that don't take them. And I think that that's very true. <laughs> and you, you bring out something which is uh, interesting and I'd love to hear uh, your comment about this, that some women believe that their illness is a punishment for past behaviors. You know, that was the thing that surprised, that really the piece of information that surprised me the most in all of the research I did was that everybody felt, and I do mean, I should say almost everybody, but it was a substantial majority, were ashamed of being ill. Some felt, like you just mentioned, that their illness was a punishment for previous transgressions of whatever kind. Others felt that they had caused their illness, that their illness was due to stress and that they couldn't manage their stress so that when they were just overwhelmed with it. And so when they got ill, they felt that it was almost a, a, pub, a, 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 public, a, pub, a way of publicizing that they couldn't manage their lives. They were embarrassed. Some even hesitated to go to the doctor because if they, they felt it was due to stress, they felt the doctor was gonna tell them that they were stressed and they didn't wanna hear that. They were embarrassed and ashamed. 
and I don't go there. I get angry when I get ill. So I, I was really surprised about that. Um, yeah, I, I can I can relate to that. I remember, you know, I in 2011 had a health issue where I was diagnosed with possible, you know, the beginnings of uh, breast cancer. I mean, luckily, it was just a, you know, for me, it was an... Uh, a lumpectomy and um, radiotherapy but the whole thing yes I was super angry about it and I yeah. felt that I was a failure not to other people but to myself so I can totally relate to what you're saying that's exactly um, what they said yeah emotions that can come up I mean in um, my case it was because I thought I'd been always so healthy and of course, well, they felt it was their job to take care of their families. If they got sick, they couldn't perform their duties, is the way one woman told me. And they were they were ashamed and felt a failure. Mm. They really did that. That's so you know it was so interesting to me. And what happened? Well, we I put together a couple of focus groups because I wanted some geographical diversity, and I hired a facilitator, and because that's what you do, you know. And in the groups, we didn't even need the facilitator. All of the women, I think, well, I'm going to say most of them had never talked with anybody other than their doctor about their illness. So when the women got together, and I purposely picked women that had different diseases, but when they all got together, they shared so many of the same feelings, same issues, same problems, same conflicts, that they were just, they were so happy to talk to one another and get the support that knowing that that when you know that other people have felt similarly to you, that's that support. We all need each other when we're sick. And I think that the shame and feelings of failure maybe keep us so private that we do ourselves a disservice. Yes, uh, when uh, you do have uh, a health issue and that it's quite hard. And I guess, you know, with the medical profession, they're overworked, or, you know, all the kind of things that, um, well, certainly in Europe at the moment that we have, uh, um, the psychological support for people is not really there. I don't know. Is it there in the United States? It depends on the doctor. You know, uh, it's funny. I'm going to answer that in two ways. People always ask me, am I better off with a man, a male doctor or a female doctor? And... I'm going to say it depends. Theoretically, female doctors will be more supportive, will listen to you, will take more time with you. On the other hand, I have a male doctor who spends about an hour with me. Well, you guys aren't in the States, but that's a huge amount of time. Always ask me how, how I'm. I mean, we talk for an hour. He really wants to know how I am. And I have a female doctor that says, hi, how are you? And I say, fine. And that takes care of that. And then we move on, you know. So it really does depend. Um, right, right. Very, no, that's very, very interesting. And yeah, I mean, I loved in your book, you talk about the history uh, of medical care going through the ages and how women haven't really figured in that at all or not figured very well so it is really no wonder that we're still trying to you know 
get the best possible care for ourselves. It's been quite a battle through the ages by the looks of it. You know, and I think it transcends cultures. I mean, truly, I think that that's, it seems to be true everywhere. I think the Chinese, when, when daughters are born, the Chinese calls them maggots and the rice. I mean, that's not, you know, that's not very complimentary. So, I mean, I think it's just true regardless of where you live or where you're from. Um, what I found especially interesting is that even today, women's uh, women researchers get less money than male researchers. Women researchers are published less often than male researchers. And most importantly, women's diseases get less research money. For example, prostate cancer gets a lot more research money than ovarian cancer or cervical cancer, and they're much more fatal, but it's the prostate cancer that gets the money. So that's it's still true. To, it's better. It's much better, but it's still true today. Yeah, we seem to have to go a long way to go. This, we do indeed. We do indeed. At least now women are included in clinical trials. So that helps. Right. And and that wasn't so. No. No. Amazing. And um, you also bring up the, the subject that women are prescribed more prescriptions than men. And not only that, they're targeted by drug companies. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? Well, and we are we are prescribed more drugs, but to, honestly, we also suffer more from depression and anxiety. So I don't want I mean, some of those drugs are, are appropriate, but the drug companies do target women. And it's fascinating because it really works. You know, <laughs> New Zealand and the United States are the only two countries in the world that allow drug companies to market to consumers. And those drugs that are marketed directly to consumers, believe it or not, sell nine times more than drugs that are not. So it's, when I say that the drug companies target women, women make about 80%, over 80%, I think, actually, of all health purchasing decisions. So that's why they target us. I mean, they know this. So when I say they target us, though, it's really very, very effective and very successful. Yes, I noted that also in uh, your book, because of, in Europe, we don't have that. We don't see those great big, um, right. in, like in the United States, when you're driving on the freeway, the big banners with uh, the, the drug companies right. in the market. Right. Um, and also pictures of women with sort of happy families. Yes, uh, yes. The idea that you'll be much happier if you take a certain a product as well. Absolutely. And, and if you, for, for those of us in the States that, that face this, notice that most of the ads have women and their children. And that's because we take care of our children first. So the implication is we'll be even better at doing so if, if we take whatever drug is being promoted. Right. And talking about uh, women over 50 and uh, I guess age related diseases, things of that matter, is that uh, seniors are targeted too strongly as well, I would imagine. Say, I'm not sure. What, seniors what are targeted also, I would yes. imagine, strongly yeah. advertising. Absolutely, but it, it transcends ages. But yes, of course, seniors are targeted. You're absolutely right. Right. We're, we're, as, as a senior, we're a good market. Right. Um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
the younger you are, the less you need, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and your book, what message do you hope will uh, people will take? I think the most important thing, which is as we when I were talking about earlier, is just listen to your guts, be empowered, take charge of your health. It's your body. You only have one. <coughs> Please take good care of it. Do your research, get second opinions, take just take care of yourself. Put yourself first. And, and really listen to what your body is telling you. Otherwise, you know, what happens is if you don't, a minor problem can become a major one if you let things go. So that really, take charge. That's what I'm saying. And for people to connect with you, you said you are on uh, social media such as TikTok. And yes. they found you on Instagram. You were doing some amazing, I think the plank I could see exercises that is it the plank you were doing you were holding yourself in a very uh strong position you obviously yes. into exercise well I do exercise I mean I, I I think one of the best things to do for for getting older is to prepare for it and and well now I'm there and I think exercise is really res par partially responsible for the quality of my life I mean I've had really good luck and really good genes but I also work at it I really do but if you want to see my TikTok site in particular it's grandma.gains g-a-i-n-s grandma.gains and you'll see all the weightlifting I do and I do Pilates I mean I think it's great but I'm on Instagram I'm on Facebook I mean I'm all over <laughs> And we can get your book uh, from most uh, online. Yeah, Amazon has it. On Amazon and everywhere. It's been so fascinating talking to you today, Susan. It's been a Thank real you. delight. And I hope that everyone will read your book and that your message, which is a, a very important one, I think, will uh, uh, yeah get out there clear as can be and to to all women of all ages I think it's very important thank you so much I really enjoyed the conversation thanks again thank you for listening to forward after 50 I hope you've enjoyed some of the insights shared with you today is it your time to step into your power, be fearless and live your best life after 50? Then learn more about limiting beliefs around aging and how to reinvent yourself positively. Check out the links in the show notes and my website, rebeccaronane.com and book a virtual chat to find out how I can help you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my show and share it with your friends. Here's to your reinvention.